Hey guys, it's James Chester here. You're listening to the Gather Round the Lamp podcast by underagaslitlamp.com. Gather Round the Lamp, an Aston Villa podcast. Aiming towards Archer! That's a fabulous header! He's got the target, he's the flick on. Gather around villains and welcome back to Gather Around the Lamp, an Aston Villa podcast brought to you by underagaslitlamp.com. This will be a hot takes and hyper hyperbole free zone, hopefully, as um, the Villa fan base has gone into a bit of a tailspin over, uh, over the last 48 hours after a disappointing opening day. And we discuss the issues as we lead into the opening home game against Everton on Saturday. I'm Andy, and first of all, I'm joined by Craig and Dan. Welcome, guys. Hi, Andy. Lovely to be back. Um, obviously, drinking in the glory that was our uh, defeat to, to, to Bournemouth over the weekend, and we're just all so happy as a fan base, and I, I intend to radiate that joy today. <laughs> Hi, everyone. It's Dan. Um, I'm not promising no hot takes. I'm sorry, Andy. I'm, I'm full <laughs> of hot takes. I've only the hottest takes, the biggest knee-jerk reactions. I'm, I'm nothing... I'm not not a happy bunny, let's say this week. Yeah, that's fair enough. But we're we're all a bit a bit down in the mouth, so we've got we've got a guest with us, a special guest to cheer us up on this podcast. Um, the uh, the king of Aston Villa writers, I think, um, Mr. James Rushton. Welcome along. How are you? That's really high praise, but um, unfortunately, I'm here for uh, hot takes as well, and they're all going to be angry. I, I, yeah, I'm fuming, mate. I'm not exactly buzzing. I'm buzzing to be here. I'm happy to be here, but my God, you're setting the audience up for the, a wrong gun by saying. <laughs> well, we're happy to see you. We can see your face, so we're, Thank we're, you. we're delighted yeah, with that. And I just wondered, um, just before we start, do you want to um, give everyone a bit of a, an insight into your new villa project that you've got going on at the minute? Yeah, um, I wanted to keep up my writing about Aston Villa because, you know, I, I, it's one thing I actually enjoy. Um, <laughs> apart from, like, playing badly at FIFA and City Skyline, so it's good to do something creative. That's kind of low intensity. So I write a, a newsletter called House of V about Aston Villa, of course. Um, the name's based on uh, the famous Marvel comic line, House of M. Um, I don't know how far it's going to tie into that. It's just a cool kind of coincidence that you know I, I liked and it sounded cool. Um, shout out to Stevie Green actually for coming up with the name, com- fellow comics nerd. Um, but yeah, you can subscribe to it. It's, it's actually not too easy to subscribe to. You need to go on Twitter first and uh, find me out, scope me out at, uh, at Jmo Rushton, J A M O R U S H T O N. And you, you don't have to follow me. You can just subscribe from the profile if you you know if you don't want me ranting about train strikes and stuff <laughs> <laughs> like train strikes and uh geo you know geopolitics and like the downfall of our country you can just get that um i can't promise that that won't be in the newsletter <laughs> or on the podcast but you can find it there and you know i like to think i'm, I'm doing all right and doing a good job at the moment so yeah there you go yeah yeah well certainly certainly read the the i think you is it three three you've put out so far yeah, yeah, three or four. yeah, three. And, um, uh, 
yeah, no, they're, they're certainly well worth um, reading. Like I say, I think it's the uh, it's probably the uh, the best writing possibly going going on at the minute. Although, although having said that, Dan has got a, a new piece out today or tomorrow uh, on our own website. So. It's nowhere near James's <laughs> level. I mean, a little fun fact for people, James has written my favourite bit of Aston Villa content ever, which was a love letter to Tim Sherwood Gillet, which is well worth checking out. And it's um, <laughs> it's still my favourite bit of Villa writing. And, and given that it was about a, a, a former great midfielder who turned into a terrible manager, it, it feels somewhat appropriate right now as well. Yeah. So. You hang about calling him terrible after what I've seen, <laughs> after what we all saw. <laughs> Saturday. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's uh, let let's hold hold off with those judgments because we might be uh, we might be glad to have him back. Maybe you never know. But um, yeah, we'll get on to get on to the villa villa stuff now. And um, just great to have you along, James. So thanks for joining us. Um, but we'll start with the the team selection. I think um, for for Saturday it was much debated um, all leading up to to the, the game last week about. You know what would be the starting eleven, um, and of course the the big takeaways were that Tyron Mings and, and Ollie Watkins were were left on the bench, as Danny Ings and and Leon Bailey also started up front, and and Esri Konza was actually preferred to uh, Callum Chambers, which again in itself was 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 something of a, a surprise after after a good pre season for Chambers. Also, the other the other talking point really was was Jacob Ramsey starting ahead of uh, Douglas Louise. Although that's you know that's perhaps not that surprising given his his form last season. But just um, I'll come to Craig first. Do you, what did you make of the the, the team selection? And um, was it was it as expected? The team selection was an absolute dog's dinner. Um, I it was all it took me all I had not to tweet nasty things before the beginning of the game because I was like, "No, Craig, be a good fan, Craig, be a good supporter. We were not going to bitch and moan about the team before the first game of the season." But it's clear that um, Bournemouth had a bunch of bruises on there. We didn't have any kind of physical. Uh, we didn't have the phys- physicality to deal with that, and um, there's there's problems everywhere. The the midfield of McGinn and Ramsey has been shown to be problematic, and 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 so it proved again. Ings as a lone striker is also problematic, and and Konza, Konza really had a, an awful season for me last year. Mings had a better season, and Chambers certainly had a better season. So it was a surprise to see him starting, and um, it was it was really it, it proved to be disastrous. I don't know how else to describe the team selection it was um it was baffling and um so it played out yeah i kind of agree with craig there it was i mean i I said on the pod it's going to be a tough game against bournemouth they're going to be up for it but they're also a physical team and we went there and played about the smallest starting 11 i've ever seen villa start and it just made no sense there was no joined up thinking like starting ings as a lone striker when we were punting it long and crossing the ball into the box 25 times makes no sense whatsoever against three center backs playing Konza when we know they've got Kiefer Moore up front who's a handful physically makes no sense and and like Craig Konza's form tailed off last year and he's still coming back from a serious injury let's not forget and he looked like someone who was coming back from a serious injury and and Jacob Ramsey, much as I love him, has done nothing to deserve starting a game. And it's just what worries me the most about the team selection is it's the same mistakes we saw time and again last year. And and I mean, 
Gerard's had a pre-season to, to get his plan A right and to maybe come up with a plan B and C as well. And I don't think we saw any of those on display. And he got somewhat schooled by Scott Parker, which is an embarrassing state of affairs from a man wearing that blazer if we saw saw Scott Parker's dodgy Adidas stripes on the sleeve blazer on the weekend. But yeah, sartorial kind of comments aside, it was it was a bad first choice eleven and and we Got our got our asses handed to us. <laughs> that blazer, you can see that on the the anime Attack on Titan, I believe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's very uh very uh manga style. That uh, you know, yeah, I, I don't know. I like, I kind of liked it, but no, I don't like Scott Parker either. So, <laughs> uh, what did you make of the um the, the, some of the selections? Um, I was quite interested by the 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 the, the choice of Conza over over Chambers. Really, I know we'll talk about Mings in a little bit. Um, I don't think he was ever going to play by the sounds of it. But what about th- that that kind of battle on the right side between Conza and, and Chambers? What what do you think of that, James? It's it's a tough one because theoretically, on paper, and football's not played on paper, but on paper, it should be easy. It should be Diego Carlos, and he's good. And then every every Conza alongside him, and he's good because you've got the potential in Conza, and then the the, the emergent quality in, in Diego Carlos, but. The reality is Tyrone Mings, the, the lack of a leader there on the on in the, across the whole pitch, but also in defence, um, to Diego Carlos, who's been installed in that leadership group despite lacking perhaps like the English communication skills that others have. But also the Callum Chambers, the Conza thing, thing is weird because Con, as as has been rightly stated, he's coming back from an injury and he had a bad year last year. I mean, he he's been pretty on average, he's been pretty good in his time at Villa, but last year was a down year for Konza and it ended disastrously, of course, to his body. So to bring him in straight away when I feel like perhaps Carlos Mings, Carlos Chambers is a stronger partnership just on day one, it's, the word for it's interesting, to be honest. I think Carlos and Konza, it should come good. But as we know, Supporting Aston Villa, things that should come good. It's like Kieran Clark, like Kieran Clark and, and Yores or Okore. They don't come good. It something happens and it's disastrous. And then you're left reeling our championship promotion season, all the injuries that happened that actually led Mings to come into the club. Things that are planned for don't really work. So we're already at a point, not to labour the point, but we're already at a point where you can look at that first 11 and go, who deserves to start next week then? Because you might say Carlos M- Martinez is a guarantee. You might say Martinez, Carlos, and Camera, and that's that's scary. Well, we know that that Gerard will believe that Coutinho deserves to start because Coutinho deserves to start regardless, apparently. But we'll talk about that, I'm sure, later on. Don't forget McGinn with the captain's arm, <laughs> and McGinn, he's, good, he's undroppable now. So, good lord. <laughs> <laughs> well, there. Are, we're, we're, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll 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 get we'll get onto those. But we, whilst we're talking about the defence, I suppose it, it, it we we must kind of cover the first goal. And you know, it was a um, a bit of a mess from the from the corner. Um, you know, bouncing around. I th- I'm not even sure a Villa player got a touch on it, but it bounced out to uh, Jefferson Lerma, who, who shot low past past Martinez. Um, you know, it really wasn't wasn't dealt with well at all, and it's another example, I think, of of poor defending from from a set piece by by Villa, which I don't know whether I felt was improving a little bit last season. But I mean, what what 
what do you guys think? Um, sort of Dan first. What what do you want to? What what did you make of this goal? Was it was it just one of those one of those things, or was it or, or was it preventable? Ninety seconds, Andy. That's that's how long I was able to enjoy this season for. Ninety <laughs> seconds. You think first game switch on, keep it tight. Ninety seconds in and. I think you're right. I, for some reason going into this season, I didn't think set pieces were a problem for us defensively, even though we traditionally look a little bit ropey from them. But the thing that baffled me here is we've got, again, as I mentioned earlier, one of the smallest teams in the league, I'd imagine. We're not particularly tall, especially with Mings out the side. And yet we're, we're marking man for man from a corner and you end up like Leon Bailey man marking someone at the back post, which for all his qualities, is not where I want to see Leon Bailey kind of doing his defending. And, I mean, we hired a set-piece specialist last year, like every club in the league. It's the new fashionable thing. And we're yet to see the the benefit of that coming through on the team. And it's, you know, whether we should have defended it better, whether we should man marks only mark, doesn't matter. 90 seconds into the first game of the season, you should not be switching off like that. Something has gone drastically wrong in the dressing room for the players to come out that lackadaisically and to not pick up something that simple within 90 seconds. It's, uh, God, I'm being depressing today. Sorry, but yeah, 90 seconds, awful, awful. <laughs> no, yeah, absolutely. I suppose, I suppose from my point of view, James, I... I because the way I watch football is that it's a game of errors and without any errors, every game would fi- finish uh, nil-nil. And um, th- these these things just, just do happen in football. But, you know, is, is was there a, a kind of technical reason why why this goal wasn't prevented? Uh, I feel like Villa struggled defensively on set pieces for just, it seems like forever. And I know that, that that's clearly not true, but... You know, I remember even last season, the season before, when uh, McGinn was marking Vestergaard, and he's been marking as a top. I, look, he's aggressive and he can jump fairly high, but there's a mismatch there all the time, and it's consistent with Villa to be quite mismatched at defensive um, set pieces. So, you know, there's your answer. There's an aggression in attacking set pieces against Villa that it, there isn't for Villa when they're defending them. There's no almost aggression in the defence. They're quite reactive and they're not setting up in a way where, you know, they're making a fortress of that box. It's almost like they're waiting for the ball to come in and going, what are we going to do when it lands? There's no, that, that leadership is lacking, but at least, you know, you, you, you feel with Kamara, Carlos and Conza there and Martinez that you should be able to deal with a majority of threats. But when that ball's bundled into the box, Villa can't do, couldn't do anything with that. And you wonder how they'd cope with, if they were facing Fulham on the first day, with the way Mitrovic like kind of manhandled Van Dijk and, and and Trent, you know those are elite defenders. Villa don't have that. They've got good defenders, but when they come up against serious centre forward threats and, and and serious damage in the box, what are they actually going to do? Because if Bournemouth can just score their first set piece, it's a gimme. What's worse is they don't react. And the you, you say it's a game of errors. That's all well and good, but you know there should be an impetus to react. And simple, bar Danny Ings having a you know decent effort, there's no reaction. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's 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 really interesting. It, 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 there's a lot of talk about mentality and stuff, and I think that's sometimes a little bit of a, a cop out. But you do have to want to attack the football, and there wasn't doesn't seem to be a great deal, deal of desire. But there's a couple of other things I I, I would mention. We've seen uh, I, the, the the giveaway of the corner 
for me was a real problem. Um, I think it was Solanke, I want to say, had the ball for them. And he's going nowhere. He's facing the corner flag. This is not a man who's going to drop a shoulder, turn around and beat five players. There's no danger whatsoever. He's playing for a corner. And Ramsey comes in rashly and gives the corner away when there's no need. And from then you're thinking, well, don't give a corner there. That's what they want. And we did a similar thing towards the end of last season against Burnley, where Burnley are just itching. They're itching to um, to 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 lump the ball into your box. And we just kept giving away stupid fouls. I think Buendia gave away one. And, and, and they're whipping balls in, which is exactly what they want to do. Normally, when we play a team like Burnley or, or Bournemouth now, now that Burnley have thankfully disappeared in, through the trapdoor, I always say, um, in emergency, break glass and release Courtney Horse. Now, Courtney Horse wasn't available uh, for this particular game. and uh, But what you do have is Tyron Mings. Tyron Mings is number one for Aston Villa last season for a whole host of defensive metrics, including winning the first ball, blocks and things like that. So if nothing else, whatever's going on between Mings and Gerard, their lover's tiff, if nothing else, uh, it can be horses for courses sometimes. Maybe Mings plays that game. He at least gives us a little bit of cover uh, defensively, at least has the aggression uh, to, to try and deal with those footballs. But Gerard made a big call and that particular call blew up in his face considering the two goal concessions because... I'm not sure that we concede both of those goals or either of those goals, for that matter, if Tyron Mings is on the pitch. Yeah, I mean, the, the the second goal was potentially even worse, wasn't it? I mean, it really was, you know, just a floaty little dink into the box and a completely unmarked header. Um, Kiefer Moore, <clears throat> who I'm not sure has ever played in the Premier League before, has certainly done well for Wales, um, but completely unmarked in the six yard box um, and not, you know, a, a decent cross, but nothing, nothing in- incredible. And, and he's just nodded it, nodded it down from where it's came. And again, you know, just, just really, really poor marking for that second goal. So, I mean, he, he, you know, I can look at that. And <laughs> if I was a little bit unsure about the first one, I can look at that one and say, you know, you know, that, that really should have been, should have been, um, dealt with and James do you think that's the sort of the second goal is the sort of goal that is sort of meat and drink for for Tyrone Mings yeah I, I feel like the, the Villa centre-backs are capable of you know manhandling the player definitely Conza definitely Mings definitely Carlos definitely Chamber. they've all got it in them but it was just soft and you see you do see it time and time again in the Premier League you know I go back to that Fulham Liverpool game uh, even Man City against West Ham, you know those, those strikers from Mitrovic who people doubt can play at Premier League, which is you know frankly ridiculous. And and of course uh, next from this story, Erling Haaland, who, who he's made a, a cracking start to the, the you know the Premier the Premier League season, even with a few doubts. But like there's still these strikers, you know, you, you go to you, you keep them all, and, and a few years ago it would have been a, your Charlie Austin. You need someone to you know lay something on them. But sometimes it's okay to give away a penalty or a foul or a shirt pull. And, and that situation is when there is a serious threat of goal, like there is with Keith Moore, but it's just the constant reactive defending. And that's nothing to do necessarily with zonal marking or man marking or any of those arguments. It's about to do with the mentality on the pitch and who's Gene at Villa. Because the amount of times I've seen, and this isn't necessarily a criticism of the man, you know, Stevie G's faced a lot this, um, this past week, but... More often than not, you see him kind of just sitting on the bench with his arms folded. And I'm not so sh- you know, if, if the manager isn't giving it some, if there's no orders being barked across the pitch by Tyron Minks, who is, 
who is instructing that team? Like, is, is Martinez doing it? Because if so, he's not doing a very good job of it. Is, is Carlos doing it? If so, again, he's not doing a very good job of it. It all comes, it all really came down to me for the communication and the lack of cohesion and then the lack of intensity. It's all like these building blocks and these foundational tools of basic football. When they're out of the window, it's kind of like exactly as you saw, Ander. It's one of the things that, yeah, that yeah. kind of bothers me is, James rightfully says, like talking is day one of football. Kind of when you're playing as a kid, it's always the shout from the sidelines, talk to each other, tell each other what you're doing. And I remember thinking back to the, the COVID season where you could hear that talk from Tyrone constantly. You could hear him barking. And it makes you think that's not there when when he's not there. And and without that, who's organising? Who's getting people up for it? And and I was reading today, we've we've got a 10.6 win percentage when Tyrone's out the team. And and as Villa Twitter will tell you, Tyrone Mings is to blame for all of the goals Aston Villa concede. And I think the same's true here. And Douglas Louise as yeah, well, right? Yeah, but But I think that's the same here. He's not on the pitch, so no one's organising them. And and body language and, and kind of motivation is a big thing in the Premier League. It's it's a technical league, but you've got to win the physical battle first. And and we were not winning the physical battle. And and James's point about Gerard's body language, I think, is incredibly important. Because I noticed that. He sat in the sun, jacket off, arms folded, as if he can't understand why these players aren't doing what he asked them to. And it's his job to make them understand what he asked them to. And, and if they're not, to, to put the fear of God into them. But he felt passive as, as Villa's defence did throughout that entire game. I want to also talk about Esri Konza again. Um, there is no desire or urgency from Esri Konza in that goal to stop the cross. I'm not sure what he's doing in the left-back position anyway, but once he's there, this is Philip Billing, who has a turning circle of a large cruise liner, who's turning around, given all the space of Bournemouth, the south coast, to turn around and put a cross in, and Esri Konza is is kind of having a, a Sunday afternoon stroll out there. No, no desire. And I've I've been, I've always felt that Konza has has, and this might not be fair. It's a feeling, you know. You can have feelings. I've always felt that Konza hides behind Mings a little bit, and always looks like a little bit of a lost puppy without him. And I think that that son, I think that his performance on Saturday again, no leadership, no urgency, and um, and and Konza has regressed in my estimation he's not the player he was two seasons ago and I'm not really sure why but it's a little bit concerning yeah I'd certainly I'd certainly say that so I mean I mean you know two two bad goals obviously but two goals away at, you know for Villa to to catch away away at Bournemouth you know isn't necessarily the end of the world I think Gerard said after the game that once the second one went in it was game over but you know, I would I wouldn't say it's beyond uh, the possibility that Villa couldn't go to Bournemouth and score three goals. Um, so what? So what? What was it? Uh, you know, where were the problems with um, with the, the the offensive kind of side of the game, the attacking side of the game, and also I guess just just the general organisation. I mean, um, you know, we, we mentioned C- Coutinho. Um, he he seemed completely unable to affect the game and that's it's not the first time let's let's face it that uh, that that he struggled certainly away from home um but obviously Ings was up front a lot of people say maybe not a not a center for not a um you know a lone striker um but his support was seemed seemed nowhere near him like Coutinho was was wide left Bailey was kind of hugging the touchline on the right which 
I did. I didn't expect. I expected him to play more as a second striker. Um, so what what went wrong? What you know? Were these were these elements? You know, just 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 bad planning, or you know, were they just telegraphed by Bournemouth? Uh, Dan, what do you think? I, I always fall back on there's a there's a, a Jonathan Wilson quote, which to paraphrase is that formations are neutral, but it's what you do with them that counts. And I think that's it. We we kind of I've been on here complaining about whether we should have the narrow formation, a four three three, a four two three one, but we still nine months into Gerard's tenure don't really have a style of play, and I think we saw that in this game. The the book seems to be out on Gerard. You clog the middle up, you put a few centre-backs in there and we get reserved to just lumping the ball into the box from wide and it's easy to defend against. And, and that's what happened here. We don't seem to have any ideas of how to get the ball towards goal and, and we ended up pinging the ball long or crossing it into the box, which was, you know, meat and potatoes to that, that Bournemouth back three. So... I think the problem is these players aren't being coached on, or if they are, they're not being coached well enough on how we want to progress the ball. There doesn't seem to be a joined up idea of what we're going to do. If you look at the pass map from the game, it's it seems to be Luca Dean, Buendia, Coutinho and, and Ramsey just basically holding hands over on the left touch line. And, and that seems to be where the ball was most of the time. So it's really difficult to know where the problem was tactically, apart from, Someone like Scott Parker, who said his team was nowhere near ready for the season, outcoached Steven Gerrard, who apparently had the perfect pre-season. So it's it's an incredibly odd one. And what makes it more frustrating is we're still yet to see what Gerrard's idea of of getting the ball in the, the net is, apart from sending the fullbacks up like auxiliary wingers. And when you've got players like Buendia and Coutinho on the pitch, you should be able to pick Bournemouth apart in clever ways, not just repeatedly hoof it into the box. Yeah, I was yeah, just going was... to. So just just on that, Craig, I was going to um, say Lee, Lee Poultney on on Twitter did send us a question. We did ask for a few questions before this podcast. Um, kind of following on from what Dan was saying, is how does the formation penetrate the opposition, and is there too much reliance on the fullbacks and nothing from the the centre of the park? Yeah, well, thanks for the question, Lee. Um, there is there is a major problem. I, you're smirking there, Andy, because you think I'm going to go on a John McGinn rant, and I'm not. <laughs> I'm not gonna, I said last week I'm not doing that anymore. Um, but we know that there are, um, you know, McGinn is kind of a, a footballing unicorn. I think there was a, a TIFO, athletic TIFO video that described him as such. He, he doesn't do what you expect him to do. He's kind of a ball of chaos. He's like a Tasmanian devil, a whirling dervish in, a dervish in there. Um, so I think that expecting him to be the coherent metronome of your midfield is is stupid because he, he doesn't do that. Um, Ramsey, more of a runner. A young player with some limitations. I won't go too hard on Ramsey. Um, but I think that the, the setup is not, was not designed in an attacking sense. The midfield was 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 problematic, and and uh, for the reasons I've just described. But then the forward line is also problematic because none of them were close enough to each other to play the kind of short one twos and intricate passing to play around these big brutes that that uh, Bournemouth had on the field. Uh, Bailey was quite isolated. Ings was isolated, and Coutinho was certainly isolating. None of them were were close enough to each other for a start. And the next thing is, and I've been very critical of the signing of Danny Ings in retrospect, it, it turns out to be a mistake, but I, I felt bad for Danny Ings on Saturday because you're not giving the man a chance. This is not a lone striker. Danny Ings made his name at Burnley, partnered with, um, 
oh, what's his name? Um, Vokes, Sam Vokes, a big kind of bruiser. And then at Southampton, you saw the, the most successful version of Danny Ings had Che Adams. Again, Che Adams probably slightly more cultured than, than, than Sam Vokes, but Che Adams not, you know, not exactly a, a shining light of footballing talent, but what he is, he's, he's, he's aggressive, he's athletic, he's quick, he's strong, he works the channels, he occupies the defenders, and he creates space for Danny Ings to do Danny Ings things. Asking Danny Ings to be the lone striker is, is, is baffling because he can't do it. He doesn't have the skill set, doesn't have the speed, he can't hold the ball up, he's not muscular, he's not strong, he's not athletic, but what he is is a finisher. So, to put him in that position and then have him completely isolated, lumping balls long or churning in, I think, 32 crosses it was in the end, to this rather small man without much physical ability, you can only start to feel bad for, for Ings. I think that that Gerard that Gerard is going to continue to really irritate and irk the fan base when he's doing things which are so patently wrong and doing them repeatedly and also when he's doing them and the results are so poor it's it's really mystifying to me James and you are a smarter man than I with these kind of things so maybe you can explain to to me and to our listeners and to Lee why does Gerard keep repeating this these same things that just don't work um that's a like a complex answer which I've been trying to understand like how clubs hire managers because there's a different set of stats that they recruit managers on compared to, you know, um, players. Um, and there was a theory discussed by uh, a guy, Amar Arvind, that you, you should all follow on Twitter. He's amazingly smart. Um, I've got a lot of amazingly smart friends who I've pinched knowledge off. And he had a theory that there's um, floor-raising managers and ceiling-raising managers. So there's your floor, which is the basics of the squad, the philosophy, they're, you know, they're almost like a Dean Smith. They they come in, they they set a standard, they set a philosophy, and it changes. But then there's a ceiling that they hit, and they can't really get past it. So that's when you you almost go to a bigger personality. Who, if you're an elite club, would probably be like an Allegri, an Ancelotti. If you're Villa, Sherwood, Gerard Gerard Lampard that they bring in, who's probably who should have the the personality and the man management skills to to bring it forward and they delegate a lot to coaches. Dean Smith delegated a lot to coaches, don't get me wrong, but they're almost the the, the, the mystical figure at the centre of it, lifting people up, putting the arms around the shoulders and getting Villa to punch above their weight by almost by pure force of personality alone rather than anything else. And then it switches back to floor raising manager, ceiling raising, and, and that's how it should go. Um, I don't think Villa know what Gerard is and I don't think... Gerard is probably what they hope for in that that personality. I think he's probably more of more of the latter, or especially was with Michael Beer, someone who develops a philosophy at a club, who someone who develops a cohesive playing style. But he's picked up halfway through or, or at the end of Dean Smith's job, not really known how to get on. The, the setting it back to basics at the start really worked, but as he's met with obstacles that probably weren't there at Rangers, he's not really learning how to overcome them. And I don't think many managers overcome those obstacles, but I thought, I think in Villa's opinion, he was going to be the guy to take them to the next step due to his prior experience in, in football as a player, more so than, he, than as a manager, um, with, with all the work Dean Smith done, all the work that had been done before, all the players were there, the recruitment was getting better, there's a director of football, and then you have a guy who can just run it for you. I don't think it's turned out to be the case, and I think he's very stuck at the moment. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, I a like lot's that. been um, a lot's being said, isn't it, about now about um, Steven Gerrard and and um, <laughs> we're having a, a discussion about the the, the manager's um, position and his future after after kind of the first first game of of, of, of the new season, um, albeit that he's he, he has been there for a few months, kind of uh, previously, but. Um, I mean, in terms of in terms of um, the the stuff. I mean, we might as well get onto it. The the, the stuff we've 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 Tyra means because this kind of I think feeds into it. It's this this idea of the man management um, and kind of taking the the the, the, cap, the captain of the club and um, the the main sort of linchpin and central defender and kind of kind of ostracising him slightly, albeit he was on the bench. Um, I think I think a lot of people were were fairly sure that Mings would would um, would not be the Villa captain this year, and whether he might even leave the club. But he's still at the club, and um, as we said, sort of previously, he's, the captain's armband has gone to to, to John McGinn. Um, but then to be left out the side as well, he's on the bench, and then comments from from Gerard after the game where he's saying. Um, the, the, the line now, which is quite famous, when when Tyrone looks me in the eye and says he's ready, he will get opportunities. I mean, you know what what do you think he he means by this? Do you think and do you think really is the, is there any way back from this? Do you think there's actually a a more sort of in depth problem there? Um, I'll come to Craig first. Do you think there's there's something going on there that's behind the scenes that's irrepar- irreparable? I, it seems there's been a breakdown, and this could be alpha males, if you if you like, uh, butting heads, two large goats or rhinos, um, literally butting at each other. Mings is the alpha male; he has the abs of a, of a god, and um, you know he's big, he's strong. He's been the leader of that dressing room, as uh, Daniel mentioned earlier. We all saw during Project Restart when the fans were empty from the stadium. I don't think any of us really realised that Mings was really the leader of the team in that same way because we were all kind of looking, stargazing at Jack Grealish. But Mings was barking orders. Mings was talking the whole team through that, through the games. And he did similar things for England, even though he wasn't a senior player there. Uh, His record for England has been exemplary and he was talking other players through through the games there also. And um, and he's also come out, as we've spoken about in detail on this podcast for Tyron Mings, that is pronouns Craig, uh, for lots of social justice uh, initiatives. And he's become a real kind of leader on and off the pitch for Aston Villa. And then Gerard comes in um, and he's obviously used to being cock of the walk. So I think it could just be as simple as that. You know, it's the old, uh, it's the old Western stuff. This town ain't big enough for the two of us kind of thing. And um, I think maybe it's just as simple as that. But um, Gerard certainly on Saturday in the Bournemouth game in particular, I think he, he bit his nose off to spite his face. And I think that his spiky kind of uh, almost bullying responses to some of the ju- journalists, dare I say, in the post-mass pre- press conference speaks to someone who's insecure and is beginning to to wobble because if you make these big, big calls, you kind of have to get them right. And so far, it's only one game in, 
it looks like a mistake to have to have not only stripped Mings of the captaincy because McGinn was lost in there and couldn't didn't like look like he could lead a, a, a five sheep out of the barn, and um, and and Mings also was just seriously missed on the field. And again, I think if Mings plays, I I don't think we lose that game. I think we at least come away with a point. Um, so I think it's a big problem for Gerard, and Gerard may need Mings gone. But if I was Mings, I would probably wait wait for a transfer window because if Gerard carries on like this, um, he's not long for this world, unfortunately, for him. I think Greg's right to pick up the the Gerard's responses to journalists. It's uh, I mean, journalists get a bit of a bad rap from people, but those there at the post game are doing their job. They're there, they're trying to get a headline, they're trying to get a reaction, they're trying to get a soundbite. They're not asking questions that are beyond the pale. They're not asking anything that we didn't see on the pitch. And and Gerard's getting unbelievably spiky with them. And and the problem is this seems to be a trend from him. Like this isn't the first fight he's picked with a Villa player. I mean he he drummed out Samsung Traore's in the bomb squad. Freddie Gilbert. I mean last season he was happy to throw the entire team under the bus. This is a man who increasingly is blaming other people for his own mistakes. And it it strikes me of a problem you have with great midfielders who become managers, like Tim Sherwood, who we mentioned earlier, but also Roy Keane and, and Graham Souness, who I think is the, the most obvious comparison to Gerrard in his current ways. They just don't understand why players can't do what they did. And, and like Souness, Gerrard seems to want to pick a fight with every single one of his players. And, and I can imagine he's more interested in, in putting in the tackles in his boots on the training pitch than is on actually coaching the players and how to do things. So this is a man who seems to have no man management abilities. And when they're spilling over from players to to the general media, and who knows after that, the general public, the tea lady at Ronnie Marheif, who who knows who's on the wrong side of him at the moment. It's it's not a good look for a club that wants to be a professional outfit. And it's not going to attract players to the club and it's it's not going to set a good tone around the place. We've all worked for bad bosses, right? Bosses who shout at you rather than, than put an arm around you and help you out. And there's there's got to be that balance between carrot and stick. And I just don't think Gerard's got it just yet. But one last thing, actually, and, and on Mings, I think he's maybe picked the wrong fight with Tyron Mings because love him or hate him, Tyron Mings has achieved good things for this club and, and achieved good things on off the pitch. And, and Gerard doesn't have that kind of credit in the bank at the moment. And and I do wonder who the winner out of this this kind of clashing of goats, as, as Craig put it, is going to be. Yeah. What do you think, James? The, the uh, do, you, do you think that... Um, First of all, is you know is 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 Dan right? Is this this a fight too far for Gerard? Do you think he is actually picking a fight, or do you think he's he's kind of just saying Mings isn't isn't ready to to, to start yet, and he'll let me know when he is? Type thing is it is it? It can be taken two ways because it's words on a on a page, isn't it? So you know, is it is is it kind of spiky and? disrespectful or is he is he just giving him time to kind of get his head around the the new way of things yeah I think to be fair to Jared, I think in in that situation like in it's in that like, press mixer with a mic in your face and he's already frustrated and he knows what's coming up he lost his game because he didn't play Tyron Mings which is we don't know we we can say that it was a lack of aerial you know that leadership we can say that you know, if he played, would the Villa have lost two 0 or three 0 We 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 don't necessarily know that, but um, you could already sense the fact that Gerard knew the frustration about the question he was going to ask and the manner in it in which he answered it. But like, don't almost like don't doubt me, um, in in that sense. But 
the way he um, kind of answered that question with the words he used, it, I, I just think he could have just said he's carrying an injury and that's it and just yeah. left it. Um, the lo- words seemed loaded and, you know, we're, we're probably not going to know the, the truth behind it for a long time, whether it was just in the heat of the moment thing, he got his words wrong or he just said what he said just because, like most people. Um, but it we, paired with the reaction to journalists, it almost feels like Dean Smith losing to Southampton in the relegation season. And there's a lot of frustration. And then there's a, a made-up lie that he's had a fight with John Terry. It seemed almost like that exact type of thing, that exact same atmosphere. And, and on the journalist thing, actually, as someone who's obviously been at press conferences, he was only asked, you know, where do you, almost like, where do you see Coutinho? And then he was, you know, the, the, that was met with an almost a acidic response, like a, a clapback. And I, I don't think I'd have appreciated that. Like, to be honest, like, as a, you know, I think journalists get in her neck a lot and I get why. Uh, when, when football came back, you know, the list of media, you know, no fans could go there, but there's 40 media members. And the reason why is because all football that you digest, if you're not there, is through the media, whether it's podcasts like this, Sky Sports, the paper, you're digesting it through media. Your views have, are not necessarily being, being formatted by yourself. They're a mix of everything you've read and what you've, the, the conclusion that you've come to. Um, I don't understand, and it's not just Gerard. I don't understand in any other job, you wouldn't be allowed to speak to someone like that. And it's not the worst thing he could have said. It's not you know I'm not going, you know PC gone mad here. But everyone there is doing their job. The worst thing that can be said to Gerard by a member of the press is he's not good enough for the job. His multi-million pound job, he'll fall into managing, you know, an Everton and Norwich, not Liverpool. Uh, sadly for him, <laughs> <laughs> not Liverpool yet. But he could, it would fall into a number of jobs. He could be the manager of LA Galaxy, million, paid millions. The worst thing he said is, you're not good enough for this job. The worst thing Gerard can say is, any amount of things, any amount of things can come out of his mouth to a journalist and they've got to deal with it. it it's, I just think it's, it's not a good way to start the season and they re- he really just have to bounce back from this. It's also about power dynamics, isn't it? It's like, you know who has the power in that room and he's exploiting that power to belittle someone who's asked a genuine question when trying to do their job, which to me is bullying. I don't know how else to characterise it. And it's unnecessary. Best way to put it, Craig, is Stephen Gerrard's mentor is Gerard Julio, you know, the late Gerard Julio, um, who, after, you know, being managed by Matt Kendrick, who covered Villa for, for a long time, his interactions with Gerard post-game, they, they were buying each of a Christmas presents. You know, the, the reactions that they had, it was always, he was getting info, they had a, a, you know, to and fro. It's not just like snapping randomly at people. Managers do snap randomly, they're under a lot of pressure, don't get me wrong. But there's a way to go up these relationships with journalists. They aren't there in the Premier League, as they were. And I don't know whether that's the fault of football clubs being too protective and trying to create their own environment away from that. But it just feels like we've lost something if if you can't answer a question like, where should Phil Coutinho play? Should he play yeah. at all? Without and again, it's, it's a reasonable question because Coutinho, again, as Andy said earlier, this is not the first time he's had a, complete anonymous, a completely anonymous uh, performance. And it is a reasonable question to ask, well, you've got this player who's <laughs> the most talented at the club and he's not performing. Are you using him in the correct way? 
And rather than say, well, yeah, what we tried to do today didn't work, but, you know, we backfill, you know, he attacks the journalist and shoots the messenger. And going back to your point, Daniel, this is kind of end of day stuff normally for managers when they start blaming the press, they're, they're digging out the players, there's alleged dressing room unrest, Sanson's tweeting things or on his Instagram. All Gerard has left to complete his Steve Bruce bingo card <laughs> is uh, to call out the fans. He's already, and it seems early for, for Gerard to be doing these things, but the, the cracks are there, surely. Yeah, I think I think with um with Gerard, I think we we do have to sort of take a step back and, and, and understand who he is really and, and um it's well, well documented you know what a what an awful loser he is, you know, how how hard he takes that. And I think when most of the time he's very measured um his press conferences before the games are usually very um sort of amenable affairs really and he's 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 very very um articulate um i think directly after a game is is his is his um red zone if you like and i don't think he can he can always manage it well um a little bit like jose Mourinho. i think Mourinho used to get into all sorts of bother saying things after after games didn't he which were clearly going through his head but he he would have perhaps been best advised to avoid and i think from a from a villa squad perspective i think um without saying you know dean smith was a fierce competitor as well but you know he he, he it was with him it was more a um a kick up the backside with a furry slipper wasn't it it was it was nice you know the the barb came with the cuddle and you know he was you know it, it was it, it just felt a lot a lot nicer whereas Gerard is very snarling and very and very pointed I think in his in his responses and um that takes some getting used to but I just think that's that's the that's the 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 competitor in him that's that's how he is and he's got to manage that he really does well from his biography I think one of the first opinions I, I came to of Gerard is there seems to be like an underlying current of genuine anxiety about letting people down, about not being good enough, which has obviously propelled him to great, great heights as a player. You know, that's the slip that kind of cost him the title must have like affected him extremely badly based on the person that he is to let people down and not be able to kind of like repay. And the last game of, of his, you know, Liverpool career, you know, the, the, I think a big loss against Stoke, um, there's it, like an undercurrent of like, am I good enough? I'm going to prove myself. I'm going to have to bite back. But you see, like, your you Dean Smith, your Julier, even your you Sherwood, the cliche, perhaps not Martin O'Neill, but these managers could snap back and bite back without it being almost... that. It was quite... Probably taking it the wrong way. The, the Smith's... Um, Gerard's comments after the games almost seemed like personal. Yeah. Like, you're taking it extremely personal. And I want him to, you know, I want him to succeed greatly as Villa manager. This could be the making... I think like the, these dark times can sometimes be the making. More often than not, it isn't, and it's it's up to him now what he decides to do because he is an elite football personality. He has played at the highest level. He for Liverpool when he was a under 18s coach, he's coached fairly at a high a high enough level. He's he's got the learning to to build on this now and and grow and develop as a, as a young manager and hopefully hopefully he does. But talk about talk to starting the season in the worst possible way. 
I think that the other thing I, I would say is that this is one of the things that we were concerned about when, when Gerrard took over in the first place. I described Aston Villa as being Steven Gerrard's Premier League ta- uh, crash test dummy. He's learning. He's a novice manager at this level. He's a no- novice manager full stop. He's learning on the job and lots of these kind of big, big things. He doesn't seem to be capable of pragmatism at all. Like it would be pragmatic to keep Mings on side and 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 put him in the side. It would be pragmatic to do lots of things, but he doesn't seem to want to do them. He seems to be obsessed with grand gestures, and with grand gestures becomes grand scrutiny. And when they don't go wrong, it's it's there's there's a, it's a really slippery slope because it then becomes a climb down. If if Gerard almost can't play Mings now next week against Everton because it will be seen as a climb down, so then it becomes it turns into a, a into a into kind of a battle of, of wills almost, and 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 that normally normally doesn't end well for managers. And let's not be surprised that this is who Gerard is. It's who he was as a player. He, he had a tendency to get a red card, and and God forbid any journalist don't mention Phil Collins in a, a post match interview, or there'd be some serious trouble going around. But it's, it's I jokingly referred to Sunes and Roy Keane, but but these kind of players typically don't make good managers because, as Craig says, as a manager, you have to be a pragmatist and you also have to have a calm head. And, and Gerard doesn't have that. And and we knew this going in. And, and, and what's worrying is he's just reverting to type. And no one wants to see him fail. We all want to see Villa succeed. But it's just so difficult to see, you know, how's he going to change his personality and his style overnight? And, and Andy, as you say, it's, it's almost like, it's happening in fast forward is kind of managerial downfall that normally takes a couple of seasons seems to be happening in nine months and it's it's kind of depressing to watch it unfold well i mean one game into a season is is a new record (laughs) i'm not having this 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 one game into a season as I, i tweeted this yesterday christian perslow changed the rules and the fans changed the rule when everyone was coming out with this bs dean smith 2021 table which doesn't exist his league table when we we and and Perslow says that Dean Smith was was basically sacked he intimated at least Dean Smith was sacked for his performance throughout 2021 rather than his performance just at the beginning of last season that's off the that's off the table now there's no wiping the slate clean at the end of the season and it's and Gerard is now a manager who is overseeing a relegation form a, a side demonstrating relegation form it's two wins in 12 and we're playing relegation strugglers uh, on, on Saturday, and it's kind of becomes a must-win. Th- those rules are changed now, Andy. This isn't the one-game stuff has gone. Well, I think, I think, I think, yeah, okay. Precedent has been set, but I think still to um, to go after a manager after the first game of the season is, you know, is 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 quick off the mark, you know. And, and actually, I think um, it's not the first time Villa have lost. The first game of the season, um, and we've had certainly less um, quality within the within the team on those occasions as well. You know, it's happened before. Context is king, though, Andy. This is last season against Watford. We had a horrible horror show of first half. Matt Target was playing while injured, which was Dean Smith's fault. He gets rinsed. We get a couple of breakaway goals, and then in the second half, actually, Jacob Ramsey comes on. We score a couple of good goals, and if that game. If that game, that Watford game goes another 10 minutes, probably we get an equaliser or a win. So there was at least something to hang on to. There was, as James's uh, article says, there was nothing to hang on to in this game. It was 
it was as bad as you can imagine. But I maintain, <laughs> I will maintain that if Birmingham City <laughs> were talking about sacking their manager today, um, we'd be um, we'd be laughing at them and calling them a clown car. So I think, I, uh, you know, I didn't I didn't say sack him, did I? No, but there are people. I didn't remember are, saying are, that. There are definitely people. Sort of, I'm, I'm not, you know, not not necessarily on this yeah. show. Oh, I don't know. I um, think I've been calling but, for his yeah. head for six months now. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I mean, just on 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 Gerard, um, Jay Sevens sixteen on Twitter has asked um, after nine months and a preseason, shouldn't the manager know his best eleven and formation, um, especially as there hasn't really been wholesale changes to the squad. What, what do you think of that, James? Do you think, is that a concept still, knowing your best 11? Is that a bit of an old-fashioned yeah. thing? I mean, especially with the fact you can make five substitutions now. I don't think the starting 11 is as important this year as it was last year because you can have specific ways to introduce players in which they can make an impact on the game if things aren't going right. But it didn't look like there was much of an idea. On, um, on Saturday, it looked like there was more kind of regret but Brendier coming on at halftime was probably the biggest, you know, showcase of that. I think Emmy Brendier is as close to potentially an every game starter for us to feel like as Phil Coutinho is. You know, it's Gerald's job isn't necessarily to win games, to find out how to fit Danny Ings, Ollie Watkins, Phil Coutinho, and Emmy Brendier into the, into the same side without it being you know crazy asymmetrical, almost football manager wet dream of a formation. <laughs> it's got to be like. That he, his job is to balance balance this side, and he doesn't necessarily need to have a best idea at uh, 11. He's got to have an idea of what squad he can put out against Bournemouth that's going to threaten Bournemouth. That one didn't. It didn't at all. It didn't even kind of touch the sides of threatening. Uh, Dan spoke about the pass network. It's, you know, they're playing Coutinho ping pong essentially, like just kicking it around between them. When people said Jack Grealish at Villa, it makes you a one man team. The evidence against Bournemouth was, yeah, we we got our one man team against Bournemouth, and the one man wasn't good. <laughs> like the, the 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 play revolves around him on on the left side, and it almost looked like they want to do the the greedish thing of get the attention on him. That side, there, there should be an opening on the on Bailey side to get him through, and that seems like the general theory that tried to work. They couldn't do anything. They lost the ball so many times. I love Ben Pearson and, and Philip Billing. I think that I think they're they're cracking aggressive players, old school Ben Pearson, especially Deep Dale Pirlo or Deep Dale Gattuso. <laughs> sorry, and Villa lack that. You know, there's Bubikar Camera should be that, and he was okay. But the, where the options on the bench weren't there. You know. The, the setup of the team wasn't there. The, the willingness to match Bournemouth when they went to a three at the back wasn't there. The, the ingenuity, the flexibility wasn't there. And I think Villa have that depth in youth, in reserve, to mix and match. Yeah, they haven't probably practiced a back three, but if another team's playing against them, why not go to it? They're, they're not children. Tyrone Mings has played in the back three. Cons has played in the back three. Chambers has played in the back three. They don't forget that overnight. Um, going two up top because Bournemouth had two up top. Matching them. Is like the last, the planned F, and it, it wasn't even there. It was almost like let's throw on Cameron Archer and Watkins to kind of seal the deal at the end of the game, and let's make Douglas Louise do a few kickups on the edge of the pitch and, and drop the ball. You know, um, when the when the final whistle blew, or it seemed like his biggest interaction in the game was trying to kick the ball into his own hands and missing. You know, which is a shame. You, you've releg- <laughs> relegated all these great players. I don't not great in ability, but 
great in standing at Villa. Tyra Mings is now someone who's crying on the bench <laughs> for a game. Morgan Sanson, uh, this signing who was meant to be better than Douglas Louise, is posting on Instagram, you know, fuming. Douglas Louise hasn't signed a new contract. You know, Ollie Watkins isn't getting a game. Cameron Archer's getting 10 minutes. Uh, the lack of using Danny Ings as a focal point, despite him not being able to be a focal point. <laughs> a lot, there's a lot wrong there in that first game. Yeah. Well, this 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 is something um, that I thought. I mean, I just wondered whether you know this because we, we we have this idea, don't we, where you have a first eleven um, with some subs, like we did when we first came up, um, but the subs aren't really good enough. So you buy more players to go in your first eleven, and then players drop down to the bench, and they're they're better, and you keep evolving like that and improving the quality of your bench. But it gets to a point, surely, where you, you're dealing with players who aren't going to sit on the bench for you. You know that you know Mings and Watkins are England internationals. They're not going to be happy sitting on the bench. They're not going to want to leave. And whether you have to preempt that a little bit, and if you're going to take the captaincy off Tyro Mings and drop him, and you're going to take Watkins out of the team, that you actually you actually get a fee from them for them and, and bring in someone else who who might be willing to. To, to come off the bench and try and make an impact. Surely that's, you know, you know this this kind of demoting players to the bench doesn't strike me as being a particularly healthy... Uh, that's, where, that's where winning comes in though, right? No one minds being benched if you're a winning team and it's where man management comes in too. I mean, the top teams are big squads. They have 20, 30 million pound players sitting on the bench, but the manager knows how to keep them happy and, and tell them when they'll get a chance. I wonder if the bigger problem isn't that Villa, that Gerard doesn't know what his best 11 is. It's that our best 11 players don't actually fit into a formation that will work on the football pitch. And, and that's maybe where the recruitment's gone wrong in that we're an inherently unbalanced squad and it looks like we're trying to do away with the only wide players left at the club apart from Leon Bailey and, and Traore and El Ghazi and, and we're going to be an even more unbalanced squad and it, it just telegraphs to the opposition that we're going to play narrow, we're going to play through Coutinho as James says and and we've just become even more predictable than we were under Dean Smith and it's it's kind of a depressing situation. It's like England in 2004 with Paul Scholes hanging out on the left wing. It's, it is... It is an attempt to shoehorn your best eleven players in. is 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 foolhardy. Now we lost a player, for example, uh, Trezeguet. You're a fan of Trezeguet, oh. Daniel. Now Trezeguet. I mean, I've probably not mentioned it before, but I'm a bit of a Trezeguet fan. has had serious limitations. But in the correct system, like in that uh, beginning of Dean Smith's final full season. In that four uh, four three two one four two three one with Ross Barkley and Grealish and Trezeguet just you know tearing just running up and down and working so hard on that right hand side, he was a piece of a jigsaw which worked together quite nicely before he got injured as part of a full system. So although he was not one of our most talented players, him being in that position was useful. Similarly, maybe. Maybe you have an occasion where you, you you try a double pivot. Certainly, I would love to see Kamara and Nakamba, or Kamara and Louise, or Kamara and Tim Arugbunam. Maybe that is what you needed on Bournemouth, for example. Although Marvellous Nakamba or Tim Arugbunam are not currently one of your best 11 players, maybe that double pivot gives then the creative uh, players the space and them again to have his chaos and for them to have a coherent attack. So, I don't know why this isn't happening, 
we are now moving towards the Everton game, and Everton are no good either. Um, although they had a, a decent performance against um, against uh, 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 Chelsea, they are basically without a striker. So we have another opportunity on Saturday for Gerard to 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 get it right. And I do hope he does. We we should say that. I know you mentioned it already, James. We do all want him to do well. We all want Aston Villa to win games of football. But it's just really baffling when we're seeing such real. It's, it's, I just it's just really jarring when we see these these terrible mistakes and 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 things just don't seem to be improving. Is where some of this anger comes from, I guess. By the way, listener, do spare a thought for Andy on this show. He's the in the WhatsApp group and on the pod. He's the level head and the calm voice, and and I think he knew coming into this that Craig and I, in particular, might be might have our backs up a little bit. So, um, but do do spare a thought for him. <laughs> no thanks. Uh, yeah, I'm, I was I was as angry as anyone on Saturday. Believe me. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's it, I just I just feel that. I like to give. I, I don't know. I like to give managers the, the time. I do. I do work on the old-fashioned seasons, Craig, um, and uh, <laughs> I, I, I do kind of think that you know the summer is a reset, and although um, it doesn't look on the first outing as much as improved, um, I'm, I'm still I'm still hopeful. I think there's enough in this squad um, to to kind of. Uh, <laughs> to kind of hold fire a little bit. But undoubtedly, you know, like you say, we've got Everton at home coming up. Um, someone called uh, Daniel Bettridge on Twitter <laughs> asked the question, is uh, is Gerard just Lampard without the memes? Um, and I, I wonder if uh, we might find out on, on, on Saturday, you know, they, they're going to come up against each other again um, at Villa Park. Um, Everton have, 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 have recruited... Fairly strongly, certainly in defence. They've announced the signing, I think, today of Connor Cody on loan from Wolves, and he'll go in alongside uh, James Tarkovsky, who I was very keen for Villa to sign in the summer, um, but sadly never happened. And they've also taken uh, Dwight McNeil from um, from Burnley as well. So, despite the fact they, they've they've lost Richarlison and Calvert Lewin's out, they do have. A few options uh, attacking wise, if not a uh, you know recognised centre forward. So, guys, I'll, co- I'll come to you first, uh, James. Um, what are you hoping for from the Villa side on on Saturday? Uh, the formation and the general approach. I assume you'll be you'll be up in the whole ten with me on Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, really looking forward to it, and I really hope you know. It's been, you know, said a lot now that uh, Villa lost to Bournemouth and then they beat Everton when they returned to the Premier League, and that Arsenal lost their first three games last season, and they managed to, you know, spin that into a decent season. All I hope for is that there's a positive performance, and that there's like the seeds of, you know, what we can analyse is something with optimism, because if you look back on on Saturday, I don't, I don't think anyone is complete. There's some out of order things that are being said. But I, I think the vast majority of complaints and grumbles is because that that's what was served up. That was the only analysis we can take from that it, is negativity because that's all, all there was. It was. It's not doom and gloom. We've had one game. It was really bad. And what we've got from that is only bad things to discuss. If we can look, I feel like we, there's, there's a sense that people feel we need to beat Everton. I, as long as we lose, good. And there's the seeds of optimism. 
I can go into the next game without thinking, you know what, we're going to sack him in, in a few weeks. Because that that's the feeling. That's not my my opinion, but that's the feeling you get is ooh, something's not. It, that, that was a, a relegation performance. That's the type of performance you've put in if you don't care and you've, you've given up. Um, not a way to start the season, but I, I feel like sometimes you have these games, and the the only reason is because of the reaction, the comment, everything about that last game. You can't take anything good from it. You you go, Stephen, what can you take from it? And he'll stick his fingers up at you. <laughs> something like that um, but this one there's got to be a fight back there has, there's two teams there who are looking to build from a fairly middling poor if you're Everton last, last season there's optimism Everton has spent well Villa has spent well they're both looking to build on Everton had the better game on the weekend as boring as it was um, boring against Chelsea you kind of take it don't you um, you don't want bad headlines like, like we had but yeah optimism attacking performance make even if they start with the same lineup as they did, because that Mings line may have been crossed now, that Buendia line may have been crossed now, get the best out of it because you can find the quality in that lineup. There's a walk that one of the world's best players is in that, or former best players is in that team. And people say he's past it. It's time for Joe to prove them wrong. It's time for Coutinho to prove them wrong. And it's certainly time for whoever plays up front to prove them wrong and secure that starting spot because it's all on the cards for a really good game. But football's football and if what happens on Saturday happens again, as bad as that was, you can't have two like that to start off the season. That's Paul Lambert stuff, especially with this bomb squad as well. Oh, we did a whole bit on the bomb squad last week, uh, James. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it got messy. Any any changes, uh, any changes Saturday, Craig? No, no, same again. <laughs> <laughs> Picks itself. Uh, yeah, no, um, yeah, th- th- there'd be lots of changes. Um, Chambers would be in. I'd, I'd start Mings, but I don't think that's going to happen. But Chambers at least needs to come in. Uh, heads need to roll. I, I would, uh, I'd drop McGinn. I'd drop Ramsey. Um, Coutinho would be dropped for Brendia. Ings for Watkins. Bailey be gone as well. Um, who we got left? I think, <laughs> I think, and this is this is the thing. I think it was so bad, and we saw performances like this last season. So Gerard has form for this. I, there was one particular performance where he came out and said everyone was really bad. So we, we're going to see changes next week, and he picked the same starting eleven, and everyone was like, "Well, why did you say you were going to make changes when you didn't change a thing?" We do have some depth options, um, and I think that we need to see we need to see some of those players given the chance because again, it's bad for morale. If you are sitting on the bench, and if you're or Sanson not even in the squad or, or marvelous, and you're seeing them serve up that dog's dinner, that performance looks like a back end of a butcher's dog. You're going to be furious. You're going to say, "Well, I I deserve a chance now. Give me a chance." And so, so this is this is what Gerald has to do. And the other, the, the main thing, the, my main problem with Gerard is I believe that he has overall for the duration of his tenure Andy including the one game of this season overall <laughs> I believe that he has underachieved with the players that he has at his disposal that is my belief some people will agree with that some people will disagree with that whereas I think the best managers the Graham Potters of this world if you will they overachieve they make ordinary players better than the sum of their parts with a good system and good tactical awareness to accentuate the positives of those players and hide the weaknesses. Gerard seems to be doing it in reverse. He's he's taking Danny's, Danny Ings' weaknesses, for example, and showing them for the world to see. 
he's taking Coutinho's weaknesses and showing them for the world to see. Where it should be flipped the other way around. We should be hiding Danny Ings' influences by having Che Adams with him or Keenan Davis or whoever you need or Watkins, have someone with him to help him out. Anyway, the point being, there should be wholesale changes and not just in terms of personnel, but that, that needs to start from the top. Gerard needs to have a, have, a, have a glass of lemonade, have a little think and think about reframing his his attitude towards the, the the players towards this job because if the crowd turn on Saturday and they may well with another performance like the one we saw at Bournemouth, it's really difficult for anyone to get to get once the Villa Park crowd are gone, they're gone. It's very difficult to get them back. So for his own sake, I hope he can um, pull it together on Saturday. I think for me, whether it's changes to personnel, changes in the style of play, it's a big game for Gerard. We've We've gone from a team that was good for 45 minutes a match to a team that's that's not good for any of the match. And we just, as fans, need a crumb of comfort. We just need a sign that he's got a plan, that he's onto something, that he knows what he's doing. And I think he needs to show that. And I think the opposition manager doesn't help him this weekend. I mean, Lampard is, is widely mocked for not knowing what he's doing, but <laughs> he's arguably achieved more in his career than Gerrard has, and he's got more of a track record. So... If he comes and plays Villa off the park, I think it could be a nasty atmosphere indeed. But just some hope, like just just a plan, some hope, something to cling on to, just some evidence that he knows what he's doing would be lovely. A win would be great, but but as James says, I'd, I'd be happy with a defeat if there was signs that we were building towards something. And I think that's what's been most galling for me is is no matter what happens week on week there doesn't seem to be any progress there doesn't seem to be any sign of of what we're getting it's it's a magic eye picture we've been staring at for nine months now and i'm still no clear in seeing what the shape of it is so so maybe if we stare at it long enough and and this weekend that'll finally come through but but i'm i'm, I'm not hopeful yeah and i think also um i think i do think it's an important game with the uh Bearing in mind the, the the transfer window, still I still think there's work to do. Um, I certainly think that was highlighted at the weekend, and I think obviously if you're if you're on the back of a win or two, um, you're more likely to get to get that that loan deal or that uh, that extra that extra player through the door. They're more likely to 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 take a chance on it at, at this stage, and um, it's very very important. The one thing the the worry I have about Lampard and Everton is that what Lampard did show is that he is able to to dig in and he's able to win the hearts and minds of the fans and the and his squad and they they really dug in at the end of last season and um, deserved to stay up in the end but I think um, it could be a really tough game and I just look at their defence and I think it's 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 for a team that like us who are who are sort of struggling to create anything it's it, it could be a really long um afternoon um long lunch <laughs> at villa park on on uh, on on saturday personally i would i would um i would take bailey and uh, ings out of the team and put archer and, and watkins in but um whether he feels ready to to go with that go with archer or not i'm i'm, I'm not sure but that would be certainly um, what I'd be doing, and 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 really kind of give give Everton something to think about at, at that end of the field, and whether you know maybe is maybe Coutinho does need to sit down and and um, and and give Buendia a run uh, for this one. Um, 
I don't know. I'm still reluctant on that in that regard, but I think uh, that time's coming ever ever closer, really. So um, we'll see. We'll just we'll just go through, guys. I'll start with James. We'll do a, a quick prediction for for Saturday for the scoreline. What, I think. What do you think, James? We've had good luck with Everton at Villa Park, so I think two one and Leon Bailey's going to break his hamstring again, smashing the in the last minute, smashing <laughs> that ball as far through the net as he can. <laughs> <laughs> what are you saying, Dan? It's two teams who can't defend and two teams who can't score either. So it's either going to be a drab nil-nil or a four-four thriller. But I'm, I'm going for the former. I, I just think this is going to be a very dull, dull afternoon for you boys in the sunshine at Villa Park. <laughs> Craig, yeah, I'm going to go for a one-nil. I, I hope that um, I hope that it is. I, I, I want Villa to just grind out a win here that I think the three points are going to be most important and we can try and get the train back on the tracks. If it turns into, th- uh, if God forbid we lose, if that turns into three defeats, uh, three wins in, sorry, two wins in 13 games, it does start to get really tickly and we have, I think, West Ham and Arsenal around the corner. So kind of need some points on the board now um, for, <laughs> I think this is really crucial. So one nil, and I I back us to uh, to to score a late goal um, from one of the subs. So maybe Archer at the back post. Let's go with that. Yeah, that'd be nice. I think I think um, I think you're right. I think it, it's really always really important to get your first win on the board, isn't it? Particularly at home. I can't honestly say I was I was that surprised that we lost last week. Like you say, it's it's the manner of it really, um, which is concerning, but. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna be positive and go for a three-one Villa win. Um, yeah, and I'd love to see Archer get a goal in front of the Holt end. I think the place would uh, would erupt um, if if that was the case. But thanks um, thanks guys for 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 joining me for this one, uh, Dan and Craig. It's always a pleasure, and and a big thanks to to James as well for coming on. And hopefully you'll uh, you'll be able to join us again very yeah. soon. That would be that would be wonderful if you. If you could, and uh, once you've listened to this, the first thing you need to do is get on James's Twitter and uh, subscribe to his wonderful newsletter because it really is um, top draw stuff. And I think I think I think every Villa fan should really be be getting that dropped into their inbox um, a couple of times a week. If that's how lo- how often it's going to be, James, what do you reckon? <laughs> a couple of times a week? Yeah, I think uh, yeah, it should be weekly, but it has been a quite quite a few at the moment but I'm trying to trying to make it weekly on a Wednesday and maybe post game so it might be two a week but I wanted desperately to stick just to one but it's, it's been really yeah. hard really hard to not write <laughs> excellent stuff well the, the more the merrier for us and then um, and then once you've done that go ahead to uh, underagaslitlamp.com and uh, hopefully Dan's Dan's article from today will be uh, will be up there um, and uh, have a look at that because it's uh, I've had a little look and it's it's very good indeed. So um, all the best. Hopefully you're going to Villa Park on Sunday and wherever you're watching the game from. Let's hope for a, a big Villa win and put um, put the worries from last weekend uh, behind us and move forward with the season. Um, if you having if you go in, have a great a great day. Um, may see you there. Uh, we'll be back next week to review it. Stay safe and up the Villa. <laughs>